You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he, he's trying to remember Sammy Jenkins. It's Jeff McLarge. Sammy Jenkins? Where's that from? Oh, that's from uh, Memento. You ever seen Memento? Oh, I don't remember that movie. <laughs> <laughs> you should tattoo the entire script to your arm. Or don't. Or don't. Dude, you know what I just had? I no. just had Razzles. Do you remember Razzles? I, yeah, I remember Razzles. The, the, the powdery, hard gum that came in a box and sort of looked like fruit. They come like in an envelope. No, like their gimmick was, first it's a candy, then it's a gum. Yeah. yeah. None of it tastes yeah. good, no matter what you do. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Stuff. I liked them. And then the, uh, the ones that I had were sour. So you're like, you're trying to get through life. While chewing on it, like oh, like sweet tarts that turn to sweet tart flavored gum. Yes, but no, because they're not sweet; they're sour. This like punishment candy, as you, as you like to yeah, say. Yeah, yes, yes, the all the all powerful punishment candy. Yes, here you go, kids. Yep, here you go, kids. Make some faces. You remember Gatorade, Gator gum? Yeah, the gum that had almost as much flavor as Gatorade, which has almost as much flavor as water. No, no, quite the opposite. You're thinking of. Uh, fruit stripes or yipe stripes. Well, I remember fruit stripes like didn't last. It was like three chews, and it was like this tastes like glue. But I yeah. remember Gator gum, um, and it had like the little rectangles of foil that you unwrapped, and it was supposed yeah. to make you sal- salivate so you could quench your thirst. But I don't remember it having much flavor. I remember like the first thirty seconds of it, like you had to like power through it because there was so much flavor. It was like all at once, and then it would settle down. But like. The first 30 seconds of Gator Gum was like, I don't even know why I bought this. This is terrible. <laughs> yeah, I think I bought it once when I played Little League and was like, nope, I'll just drink water and uh, <laughs> and that'll be fine. Yeah, not not for me. My gum of choice as a kid, at least, was, was Hubba Bubba. Hubba Bubba, I remember that. I remember the, the uh, that was the first one with the nonstick bubbles, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And yeah. it's because it was, I think it was sugar sugarless gum. And uh, it wasn't like well, if you chewed bubblicious, you had the potential to ruin your clothes and or be forced to get a <laughs> bees or haircut. Yeah, there was bubble yum. That was like the first, not the first one, but that was like gum always came in like sticks. Yeah. And then bubble yum came out and it was like these cubes. Yep, little cubes. And they used to yep, have, remember that, they used to have the um, the bubble blowing contest at the mall? Yeah. With, and Hubba Bubba sponsored, I yep. believe, or bubble yum. One of the other was, yeah. Bubblicious, right. There's so many candy bars that and 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 like, I don't even think Bubble Yum, Bubblelicious, Hubba Bubba. I don't think any of those are even in existence anymore. I'm not there sure. There was a short time a Bubble Yum came back because I bought some for Ian when he was like maybe seven or eight, but uh-huh. I have not seen it that I can remember since then. 
I'm sure if right. I if I was out looking for candy at a candy store, I might find it. But sure. generally, it's like not something I I see when I'm like at the supermarket. Yeah, I don't really peruse the candy aisle that much anymore. I mean, when I was a kid, oh my god, I, I would eat my weight in candy bars. Yeah, right, right. I I've been on a, a, a jag for three different candies. I don't know why that is because there aren't any that I have ever really gone out of my way to get before. But I like I'll make a special trip to get jelly beans because I'm a hundred years old, Bill. Yes. Gotta get some. I, I don't want fancy I en- jelly beans. I enjoy the black ones now. I like the I like the white ones that taste like anger. Um, <laughs> no, like <laughs> I don't even want the good jelly beans, like Jelly Belly, which are good, or yeah. Starburst ones, which are really those are my kind of my favorites. I eat a surprisingly large amount of them at Easter. But yes. I might like the ninety nine cents where the beans part of jelly beans is spelled wrong. Oh, the ones that are like the size of your, you know, like a knuckle. Oh my god! Yeah. I'm like these are so good. And I'm like drive around and I'm back. And I'm eating jelly beans like Ronald Reagan in a meth bender. <laughs> Again, if do, they, they cost ninety nine cents, and my brain is like uh-huh. ninety nine cents. That's great candy, <laughs> and, and it's not. And then and the other one is like ninety nine cent gummy worms to the point where I can. I'm a oh. connoisseur of them now. These are the big ones. These are the small ones. These are the ones that taste like fruit. These are the ones that don't taste like anything. Gummy bears, gummy worms, anything gummy. That is my favorite candy to the point now where I've eaten so much of it in my lifetime, I can't really eat them much anymore because I get wicked bad heartburn to the point that I can't sleep. Nope. Not, doesn't happen to me yet. Yep. Knock on wood. And the last one is I will push you out of the way to get the last Twizzler. Oh, you really? We'll have to fight over those things. Yeah. Yep. Hey, so you know we always, have, we always have the segment there, the worst song ever? Yeah. All right, so this week's very popular and always well-received trivia question is the worst candy ever. Nako Wafer is my young friend. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, punishment candy, yes. The original punishment candy. Nako Wafers, thinking about them today, there was like this like silent agreement because parents did not want to have their kids eat Nako Wafers because they were basically just like compressed sugar and if you give timmy two nacre wafers you're scraping him off the ceiling and like 15 minutes later so there was like this silent agreement between parent and child because no parent wanted to give their kids nacre wafers and no kid wanted to eat them because they were absolutely disgusting right these bland flavorless it's like eating change it was like eating coins (laughs) it definitely is it's like the candy that you would use if you were playing funeral communion (laughs) <laughs> my okay. teddy bear is dead but what here's <laughs> the, the question the power of Christ compels you, right? Here you go. it's chocolate <laughs> here's your question what does <laughs> what does NACO stand for Jeff oh I know this one do you uh, do you want me to tell you now or do you want me to tell you at the end of the show no no tell me at the end of the show alright and I'll tell you in my Willy Wonka voice if I can figure one out by then so this is going to be the week beginning, February the 21st, and I believe it is your turn to start. It is indeed my turn to start. Wow. Uh, what what, hey, what did I do? You sound, you sound so much better. What's going on? Oh, well, you know, uh, what I did was I put the microphone back on its stand uh, as you were pulling the trivia question up. And, I, I, and to do that, I had to take it out of my pants, which is where I had before. I was, I was trying something different to see if I could get better fidelity. And different it was. Hey, so uh, 
February 21st, speaking of shoving stuff down your pants, what do we got? <laughs> ah, February 21st. What an auspicious day. 1987. I remember it well. Televangelist and, as my father would call it, Bible thumper, Jimmy Swaggart confesses on TV to an unspecified sin. And he said, <laughs> I have sinned against you, my Lord. I would ask that your precious blood would wash away and cleanse every stain, etc., etc. Please send money. <laughs> Turns out that was him trying to get in front of a whole bunch of photographs taken of him with a known prostitute in a motel in Louisiana. And it knocked him off his pedestal for a while, but as all his, things his pulpit. all they're, things slimy. They're on pulpits, Jeff. They're right? Pulpits. They're pulpits, yes. <laughs> well, as all things slimy and viscous, he was able to slither his way back into the good graces of taking money from people on television. With a relative short uh, duration where he didn't. And then he f***ed up again. <laughs> the best part of this story for me, and I have a personal connection to this via the, the sainted Frank Zappa, who I saw a tour in 1988, the last tour he did in the United States. Uh-huh. And he did a four-song Beatle medley at the very end of his show at the Providence Civic Center, or as you folks in Rhode Island know it now, The Dunk. <laughs> and he did the four-song Beatle medley, and one of the songs in that was Louisiana Hooker with Herpes. And it was all about the scandal. It was all about the scandal. And it was incredibly funny. You can find videos of them doing the song called Texas Motel on YouTube. And it's like 18 minutes of the funniest stuff you can you can imagine. Boy, 1986, 87, 85, the, the, the mid to late 80s, that just wasn't great times to be a TV preacher. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it was a great time to be a TV preacher yeah. uh, when you don't get caught. Well, I mean, even when you did get caught, you have the redemption arc, right? So it's like, oh, I was bad. The devil was on my shoulder and he was telling me, Jimmy, you should do all that cocaine and it's okay. And I thought, oh, all right. <laughs> And then I did it, and I felt pretty good, and I realized that that devil was probably right. And then he said, Jimmy, now that you got all that cocaine in you, you can save that prostitute using nothing but your naked body. And I thought, (laughs) okay, I can do that. And that's what I did. And then I realized someone was shooting photographs, and I couldn't deny that this was going on. And then now I'm not like that anymore. See? Give me money. Please send me send me some money. Yeah. Send me five dollars, right? I you know, I honestly can't believe that industry, the the televangelist industry, survived. Cause it was like one, two, three punch, you know, actually one, two, three, four, five, because it was some repeat offenders. Right. But between Jim Baker, Oral Roberts, and Jimmy Swaggett, they were all one right after the other. Yeah. But I mean, like, this is the rationale that people have. There's the people that no matter what they do, they could like, you know, do like the the Ozzy Osbourne thing and strangle and and eat animals live on stage. Yeah. And they'd still be like, but he sent me a prayer cloth and some oil to anoint myself. I'm going to write him a check. And off it goes. Right. Because there's no getting through those people. Then there's the rest of the world who are like Jim Baker, like his wife looks like the Hamburglar and he's got a solid gold toilet. So, of course, he's probably banging his good looking kind of secretary. Right. Who wouldn't be? He could be a car salesman and this wouldn't be a story. <laughs> He's going to be some sort of smooth talker and be like, hey, how about I uh, bend you over this uh, this desk over here in my office? And like, aren't you like a, a man of God? That's all right. My rod and my staff will comfort you. <laughs> <laughs> 
the worst part of that story was like you know he's sitting there and he's sort of he's doing the whole like oh I'm so sorry and his Tammy Faye is next to him and he puts the microphone there and she goes to forgive him and she says robble robble it was the most sad thing <laughs> I've ever seen. Just a few short years later, there was another uh, uh, controversy on February the 22nd, 1990. Millie Vanilli wins the Best New Artist Grammy for their album, Girl, You Know It's True. The sad thing about Millie Vanilli, especially compared to what we just talked about, is the that... The one sad thing? <laughs> the one sad thing is that it doesn't matter what they would have... They couldn't have done anything worse to their career than they did, <laughs> and that was lip-syncing to like two older guys doing the actual vocals to this these crummy pop songs. Mm-hmm. And yet, the society, they'd wash their hands of them faster than you can say Robin Fab, right? right? And they don't have the redemption arc that the televangelist guys do. They don't get to come on TV and go like, yeah, uh, the devil on my shoulder said, you know, you should probably sing along with these guys who don't sound anything like you because you look like models. And I thought, you know, money is good and I like to buy things. The old guys don't look good in bicycle shorts. The old guys will have money too, but not as much as me. So they won the Grammy for uh, Best New Artist. And you know what? Best New Artist is typically the See You Later or See see You Never, uh, right. Never Again Award. Most people that win Best New Artist don't really go on to do too much after that. I think Men at Work, who were a fantastic band, got Best New Artist and then were never heard from again. Well, not much anyway. Colin Hay, who sings for that band, described it as the Best New Artist slash Kiss of Death Award when it was awarded to them. Yes. He knew. Even then he knew. He came from the land down under. (laughs) <laughs> Seriously, Millie Vanilli, we've brought them up on a number of occasions. That was such a, a crux. That was such a, a, a time. It's like, how? How did you all fall for this? It's like, I don't know. It, it's a... Here's my take is that I can't remember which one is still alive. One tragically took his own life a few years later. Um, I think it's uh, Rob is the one who's passed away and Fab is mm-hmm. still alive. Yes. And he must sit, sit at home and just seethe with anger. And think like, friggin' auto-tune, it was only like seven years, and no <laughs> one, we could have done it. We would have been, we would have been those guys. We would have been the face and the voice. And it would have sounded like two dialects having sex with a pong machine, but people would have loved it. <laughs> and now I have to work at a supermarket in the produce section. So I just brought up, uh, uh, again, I'm taking your joke that you decided not to make. Um, I just brought up Millie Vanilli on Google, and one of the things that you can buy is the best of Millie Vanilli. Right. And also, Millie Vanilli's greatest hit CD. They had one album. (laughs) Yeah, I don't get get that. Like, what's on there? Is it like a deep cut? Like, girl, you know it's true? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's the apology uh, that they have on TV when they handed the Grammy back. Like, we're very sorry for doing this. Apparently, they had a remix album called All or Nothing. And, uh, <laughs> See and if you was... can guess how much money they got from that album, Bill. <laughs> 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 it's still the other guys singing, Millie. <laughs> they still put their face on it. Yeah. Right, yes. All right, moving on. February 23rd. 1836, amping up our entirely positive show today, Bill. The Alamo is besieged for 13 days until March 6th when the Mexican army under Santa Ana finally wipes out everybody that's in it. This doesn't sound familiar to me at all. No? You don't remember? You don't remember the Alamo, (laughs) Bill? (laughs) No! You know what I remember about the Alamo? 
There's no basement. There's no basement in the Alamo. Everything I know about Texas, I learned from Pee Wee Herman. The only thing I really remember about the Alamo is uh, our good friend uh, Ozzy Osbourne got arrested for taking a piss on the side of it. True, he did. And he probably thought yep. he was an Alamo rent-a-car. <laughs> Poor Alamo. Oh, Sharon, I've really got to go. Oh, she's put over by this old church here. <laughs> Ozzy! That's the Alamo! Lose the tree! Too late. All right, so, yeah, I don't remember anything about the Alamo. So we're going to move on to the 24th. All right, February 24th, 1992. Oh, I remember this. Wayne's World, one of, definitely one of the only successful movies to come out of Saturday Night Live. That and the Blues Brothers. Yeah. Just about every other Saturday Night Live sketch made into a movie has, uh, well, let's just say you can't bring copies of the movies onto airplanes anymore. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Wayne's, <laughs> Wayne's World starring well, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey. Yeah, and, and Tia Carrere and Rob Lowe, right? I believe Rob Lowe, that was Wayne's World 2. Oh, okay. They, they all sort of I'm run not, together in my head. I saw I them could, both. I could be movie. wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah, they, they are, they are, yeah it is one, like, one long movie. It is like one long movie, right? The thing with Mike Myers is a character guy. You got to be on board for the character. You got to be ready to spend 90 minutes with... Whatever his character is. And he's good at guys. He's good at Wayne. And yep. like Dana Carvey's good at Garth. And he's good at like Dr. Evil. And he's good at Austin Powers. He was even the host of like you and I both watched the, the resurgent uh, season of the Gong Show where he played. Which was like we talked about Bruce Willis a couple weeks ago. Surprisingly okay. Surprisingly okay. It didn't make me want to rip my eyes out and throw them. Yeah, but for whatever reason. He was play. He wasn't Mike. He was Mike Myers was the host of it, but, but he wasn't playing Mike Myers. He was playing this like weird Scottish dude, yeah. or weird English dude. Yeah. Yep. You got to kind of be on board with that. And and he's he de- was able to demonstrate that he could carry a character for a whole film. Had he not made Wayne's World, he wouldn't have made any of the other things that he did that were feature length. And there's a lot of good movies right. that are in his canon. And then the Love yep. Guru came out, and his career. And now Mike Myers can't fly on airplanes. Um, <laughs> It's one of those like, hey, you think this is a good idea? Of course I do. All right, you know what? You're the boss. You're Mike Myers. Like, you, all your characters are great. You you go with that. And then the horrifying things happen. He Millie Vanillies himself. He Jimmy Swaggarts himself. He Alamos himself, <laughs> Bill. Yep. Uh, Wayne's World always sticks out in my mind because uh, my, friend of the, uh, my friend Richard and I went to see that in the theater. Now, we had plans to go see it with our respective uh, dates. But we had both gotten like into fights with them like the day before, and we're like, "Screw it, we're gonna go see it without them." That's what I remember most about that movie is we were supposed to go on uh, like a double date to it, and that never happened. Here's my concrete memory of watching Wayne's World in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Wow, they really stretch this like insufferable eight minute sketch out this long. Like, how does this <laughs> keep going? Like, how does like oh now we're gonna do like a whole Queen song that's gonna kill like four minutes? All right, <laughs> um, there's nothing holding this together. Wayne's World 2 is not as good a movie, but it, but it has a more coherent narrative plot. That one I could at least f- sort of follow my way through. It wasn't like a slice of life spending the day with Mike Myers pretending to be a Canadian teenager. It was it, it had a plot, and the first yeah. one did not have one. No, he wasn't a Canadian t- teenager. He was from Aurora, Illinois. Well, there you go. As far as I'm yes. concerned, that's Canada. Look, yeah, it may as well be Canada the, at that uh, point. The Alamo, if you ask me. <laughs> Jimmy Swagger. Uh, and Wayne's World 2 also had Rip Taylor in it, so there's that. That, that Rip Taylor improves any film he's in by 100%. Yep. 
Oh, Jackass 2, for an example. All right, moving on. He's I guess he's in sequels, and that's what he's in. You, you, All right, moving on to... Go ahead. No, never mind. Let it go. Sequels generally cost less money, so you got to add Rip Taylor to offset the, <laughs> the budget. All right, so moving on to the 25th. February 25th, 1838, a London pedestrian walks 20 miles backwards and then forwards in eight hours. Now, that is a confusing sentence, and I'll break it. I'm going to break it down because I don't know this guy's name. But Please do. But I'm pretty sure his name was something like, look at that asshole. Um, <laughs> 20 miles, Sounds French. He walks 20 miles backwards and then 20 miles forwards in eight hours. I'm so gonna guess. Get- I'm gonna guess that there's a wager involved in this somewhere, or a <laughs> boast, or something. And he's like, "Watch, I'm gonna make people think I'm insane, and you'll see." The key is like, what's interesting about this is that that's pretty fast. That's pretty. What that's what I'm getting at. It's like five miles an hour. If you've got normal sized legs like Bill with one L, five miles an hour Actually, is a I, very brisk. I have walk. pretty short legs. I I have really weird. Uh, don't use me as an example. I have really weird body proportions. Oh no no no! I'm going to use you as an example because I have really weird body proportions. So <laughs> your normal sized legs, and I say normal size because mine are abnormal, will take you at five miles an hour at a relatively brisk walk. My little yeah. twenty-seven and a half inch inseam legs. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Take me. I have to buy jeans in like the weirdest section of the store. It's like the. Are you sure you're in the right place? Part of the store. That's where I get my jeans from. Um, it's like behind the curtain, like yeah. the X-rated section of a right. Video like store. what are you? What are you doing in this like teen section? Like, oh look. Did you see my legs? Twenty-seven and a half inches. So I can't get any taller. For me, five miles an hour is a robust jog. So <laughs> I don't know how tall this guy was, but he was either walking briskly with Bill's legs, or he was jogging with my legs. Or if he was like tall, he was ambling. But at five miles an hour for that, um, for for eight hours, that's a long, long, long time. That's a hell of a clip for to be doing eight hours. Yeah, I used to see this dude uh, walk around the park, and he would be walking backwards. And then sometimes I would see people at the gym like go on the treadmill, and they would be walking backwards. And all I could think of is. You are building up muscles in your legs in that your legs, are going to be that are going to be coming in quite handy for one thing and one thing only. Walking backwards. Don't walk backwards. You don't need those muscles. My big question with this is like which way, which way did he go first? Did he go forwards or backwards first? And I'm going to guess that he went backwards first. Cuz I don't think he went 4 hours in one direction and then 4 hours in another direction. I don't think you can walk 5 miles an hour backwards and not die. Not because you're going so fast you can't breathe, but because you're going to walk off a sidewalk and or into a fire hydrant or into a car. Somebody's going to club you in the back of the head and take your wallet, and you're going to be dead. But I think I think he walked for a, a few miles backwards or like maybe 16 miles. Because eight hours is a pretty long time. He walked maybe yep. 16 miles in like six of those hours. And then he's like, all right, well, time to go back home then. And then he started walking the other way. And he's like, I'm already home. It's only been two hours. And he walked way <laughs> faster going in the other direction. Or he said, you know what? My forward walking muscles are sore. I'm going to walk backwards. And my neck hurts now, too. All right. Uh, Moving on to the 26th. February the 26th, 1935. Sir Robert Watson Watt. What? What? What, what? (laughs) Yep. He was a British physicist, and he first demonstrated Radar. Wow, okay. And radar is an acronym for radio detection and raging. Yes. And without radar, it's 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 probably likely that the British Empire would have been overrun by the Germans in World War II. British were the first to really perfect how it could be used to see incoming planes so they could spot all yep. the German bombers and stuff coming in during the Battle of Britain and 
launch spitfires and hurricanes up to shoot them down. That must have been a hell of a surprise, right? Right. So how did they know they were coming? Yeah. Did someone, Hans, did you tell the British again? You are a blabbermouth. Right, yes. The walls have ears. Um, but, yeah, the thing is they could see it coming and then be ready. So it's like, mm. And the radar, Germans had it too, but it was nowhere near as, 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 as technologically advanced as the British were. They really perfected it. I think you could still go to some of the radar stations if, if you're in the country or on the island where they yeah. have, like, museums and stuff set up to show you where, where, where they were. When I lived in England, I lived in a town called Arundel, and there was a, uh, a RAF hospital that we was part of the building I lived in. And, yep. I, and I think there was a radar station just outside the town to the east, if I remember my geography. I could be wrong, but I thought that was in the conversation that they'd had with us when we, when we got there. Neat- Attention fact checkers. Attention, yes, please. Do not send me angry emails saying, No, it's never, never been a radar there. It's a cathedral, <laughs> yes. It's a castle. It's a good pub. It's a place where people To can, the southeast! Right? There's an ironmonger, whatever the hell that is, but... <laughs> At any rate. At any rate. Still used today. In fact, it's used in your car. Same one? Not the same one. Oh. Like if you've got ba- you know, if you've got backup sensors in your car, yeah, that's radar. Yep. Oh, no yeah. kidding. I just have the camera that I, I'm only now after two years figuring out what the lines actually mean. Uh, that, well, remind me next time you're in my driveway not to stand behind your car. Um, no, it's it, the sensors that are in your car send out a you know pulse of sound or ultrasound. Yep. Uh, and it measures the, the time it takes for it to come back, and it'll tell your car that, hey, there's a wall over here, as you're backing into the garage, for example. Very similar to how dolphins move around town. Yeah, echolocation. Yeah, similar. Similar yep. principle. Yes. And wrapping up the week. February 27th, 1981. Ah, such a good year. MTV was new-ish. Paul McCartney was still making records. New-ish. But he wasn't newish. He was, you know, half desiccated corpse, still shambling around. And he sat down with, at the time, '70s Wonderkind. Uh, before Michael Jackson was the '80s Wonderkind. Stevie Wonder was like the '70s super duper pop star guy. Little Stevie Little Wonder. Stevie Wonder. Yeah, came out of the '60s real fast, and like he owned '70s radio. You could hear him on every every possible format. You'd hear Stevie Wonder. Yep. They sat down at a piano, to hint, and recorded Ebony and Ivory. Da 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 ba da da. Yeah, that song. That's definitely the song is one of the worst songs ever. The heart of it is in the right place. Two millionaires with enough leisure time to learn how to play instruments. A song about brotherhood and coming together in the giant tax bracket of the top 10%. And racial tolerance is part of it, using the piano keys as a metaphor. Except the black keys and the white keys are separate on the piano keyboard. (laughs) And they're never mixed. There's no gray keys, Bill. (laughs) Um, Yeah, It's not a good uh, song, Bill. It's not a good song at all. No, it's not. We, you know, a couple of months ago or weeks ago, whatever it was, we were talking about the movie Soul Man. <laughs> yeah, Soul Man is this song as a movie. Yes, this is the audio representation of the movie Soul Man. It's race relations in the eighties. Like, like we mentioned, the 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 heart was in the right place, yeah. but. We were still, I think, living with that whole separate but equal bullshit yeah. that they tried pulling yeah. off. Yep. Like I said, the the heart was in the right place, but man, they took some weird paths to get where they were going. 
And this song is one of this, them. And this also falls into the same category that we mentioned a couple of months ago on another topic where if you have a bunch of ingredients that you like, it doesn't necessarily mean what you're going to cook is going to be good. Right. Like I personally love bananas and I also love barbecue sauce. You just don't mix the two together. Right. And you certainly don't mix the two together and then just cover it with 45 gallons of like corn syrup. Yeah. Corn syrup and love notes written in disappearing ink. And that's kind of what this song is, is, is like it's, it's, it was on MTV an awful lot when it was finally yeah. released as a video. That was after the after Michael Jackson was had opened the doors at MTV for African American and 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 black artists from outside the country. And it was this was just all over the place. And what's hilarious about this song is it's almost forgotten. Like you and I Gen X people, we know about it. You know like you like, "Hey, remember Ebony and Ivory like just now?" And you're like, "Oh, yeah, I remember that song, but it's not something you hear on the radio. Oh, they God, never like no. bring it. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, like for the two biggest stars of the '60s and '70s, yeah. and you know, going into the '80s, this is like a one-hit wonder yeah. almost. Yeah, yeah. The the trend of this kind of I'm not even sure what to call it, like weird racial pandering type song. It didn't have enough legs to spur other artists to do this kind of thing, which is thank the deity of your choosing. And had it been any other artists. Like, I don't know, Ring, Ringo Starr and what's his name from the Commodores? Lionel Richie. That, they <laughs> never would have let him record it. They'd get the hell out of here. That's what that would have been. Take these longest <laughs> lyrics and scram. But because it's because of McCartney and Stevie Wonder, they're like, this devil, like, I'm going to make a ton of money off of this single. <laughs> no one's going to know who the producer of this record is, right? Nah, who nope. cares? And, and as far as musical race relations go, I could just see the guys from Anthrax and Public Enemy just sitting around going, oh, step aside, my friends. We got this one. Oh, I, I bet this song makes Chuck D's eyes bleed when people bring it up. <laughs> bring the noise. Blood just drizzling out of his tear ducts. All right, so moving on to the celebrity birthdays. February the 21st, 1946. British actor and everybody's favorite Snape, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Rickman by Grapthar's Hammer. Yes, Alan Rickman, a character actor who was grew kind of out of Hans Gruber, right? That yes. that wasn't his first role, but that was his first role that made him really famous. I think that's how a lot of people, like millennials, are going to know him as Snape, but yeah. Gen X is going to know him as uh, Hans, Hans Gruber. But of course, everybody's going to know him as Hans Gruber because of the never-ending argument. Die Hard, it's a Christmas movie. So. Yeah. Christmas. Well, anyway, Alan Rickman, he went on to do nothing bad in his entire career. I'm going to put that out there. And great in everything he did. You know, whenever they did the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie, and I heard that Alan Rickman was going to be the voice for Marvin the Paranoid Android, I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Yes. He was definitely the best thing in that movie. Like, Casting wise, uh, and and I I don't dislike the movie. I like most Def, and I mostly like oh, yeah. the rest of the cast. But like he was, he is the perfect my, voice. My boy Martin. crushes in that movie. <laughs> yes, Sam, yes, Sam I know Rockwell's Sam Rockwell. There, yeah. Yes, uh, he was also God's right hand angel in Dogma. Remember that? Yes, the Metatron, the voice of God. He's got that great deadpan delivery that he could say anything and make it sound just hilarious. Yes. 
he was good in comedy stuff. He was good in drama stuff. He was good in stuff that straddled those two things. And again, uh, just a fantastic actor. Yeah, uh, always love to see him on the bill. You absolutely billboard. love him in certain movies, and then like I, like we were saying, Hans Gruber was just like a great villain. He was yes, yep, fantastic actor and and very well missed. All right, next up, uh, February twenty second, nineteen eighteen. Current holder of the record uh, as the world's tallest man, Robert Wadlow. American who is eight feet eleven inches tall. Goodness, <laughs> eight feet eleven inches is pretty tall, Bill. Yeah, that's almost nine feet. <laughs> that's right. It's just just shy of nine feet, Bill. Yep, that's a lot of feet for yeah, a person. That's a lot. That's of like man. me standing on my own shoulders. Yep, and and putting a hat on. That's uh, a tall uh, hat. We go to the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum in Orlando. And they have like a wax figure of Robert Woodlow over there. And it's just really strange to stand next to it. Like, how is a person that freaking big? Right. Yeah, it's amazing. He had a glandular disease, right? I think we yeah. talked. Yeah, it was uh, some, something kind of messed up with his pituitary gland. Well, and your right. pituitary gland is what controls your growth. And that just went whoop and didn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what they say about a man who's eight feet eleven inches tall, Bill. He has a hard time finding shoes. He has to buy his pants at the tall fat stores. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of anything funnier that went with that. Yeah. Uh, when you're afflicted, sort of like Robert Wadlow was, it comes with its own set of health problems and challenges. And much like other people who've been of enormous size, uh, he didn't live a very long life. No, but he was very famous for the last few years of it. You look at pictures of him, he kind of looks like he kind of looks like H.P. Lovecraft if like H.P. Lovecraft fell into some machinery or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, H.P. Lovecraft in a taffy pull. Something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what he looks like. <laughs> you know, I stood at the International Cryptozoology Museum not worth $20 next to a what is it called a life-size Sasquatch model, yeah. not worth $20, and it was very big, <laughs> and it was not eight feet eleven inches tall. It was probably seven and a half feet. So I can only imagine what it's like standing next to the big uh, wooden model of Robert. Yeah, I have a picture of me standing next to it, and I will post it on the Instagram story. No promises. Maybe <laughs> I have to look for it. I, I, I'm pretty sure I have it. I'm just I'm not entirely sure if I still do, but I think I do. All right, nice. uh, moving on. February the 23rd, 1983, Dakota Fanning. Oh. Yep. Uh, started out as a child actress. In, she did. She was in the that Hansel and Gretel movie. She was actually in Ocean's 8, and mm -hmm. maybe two or three people saw the Cat in the Hat movie with Michael Myers, but uh, <laughs> she was in that too. And also the live-action Charlotte's Web. Yeah, and she, she crossed over into, into more adult films, too. She was in uh, The War of the Worlds, directed by Steven Spielberg, opposite Tom Cruise. Yep. She was in Man on Fire, which is a remake of, a, of a, an older, in early 1980s film that starred Denzel Washington. And then, more recently, she played in the biopic of the band The Runaways as Cherry Curry. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at a picture now, and if I was ever going to do a biopic of Chloe Sevigny, I would pick her. <laughs> I think she's older than Chloe. Savigny. No, she's younger. Uh, much younger. Is she really? Well, Chloe. Savigny? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I was thinking of Chloe. Chloe Grace Moretz. No, Chloe Savigny. No. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have 
Next up, we have uh, February 24th, 1945. Brad Majors himself. Barry Bostwick. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Came to prominence in probably his most well-known role uh, as Brad Majors from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Or if you're me, you remember him as Ace Hunter from the terrible movie friggin' Megaforce. Oh, my God, Megaforce! <laughs> oh, dude, my... <laughs> I can't believe I oh that movie. Um, my friend John used to have this like tradition called he would call it ice cream you scream, where mm-hmm. he would watch horrible horror movies and have ice cream at his house. It was like a little party nice. that he would throw every year, and then it like expanded outside of horror movies and also into bad science fiction. And I showed up just in time to see the ending of Megaforce. And that ending is something else. <laughs> it's It definitely is. Of all the movies I've seen, that's one of them. Yes, uh, it is. <laughs> that movie was plastered all over Starlog magazine for like a five months before. This be- when you got science fiction magazines before movies came out, you know, yep. before there were trailers and everything. And it was like an interview with the cast and an interview with Hal Needham, the director, and pictures of all the vehicles and a timeline of where the movie takes place and and all this stuff and i was like megaforce deeds not words i was so excited for that movie and then i saw it in the cinema and i i i I don't know it's probably the worst one of the worst movies i've ever seen it's glorious (laughs) anyway the point is ever since then i have remembered that his name in that film is ace hunter without a nanosecond of having to index my brain to find it you say Barry Bostwick, Ace Hunter from Megaforce. That's what I think of. <laughs> In fact, when I watched the Rocky Horror Picture Show with Meg, Meg said, who's that actor? I said, that's Barry Bostwick. <laughs> He's Ace Hunter from Megaforce. <laughs> and she said, what are you talking about? I'm like, it doesn't matter because that's all I can remember. I can f- I fail to remember my children's birthdays. <laughs> I fail to remember what day I'm supposed to take out the garbage. Sometimes I forget that I have a dog and I will never, ever forget. Barry Bostwick was bloody Ace Hunter in that stupid movie Megaforce. (laughs) All right, so uh, moving on, February the 25th, 1943. Man, if you're going to have a favorite Beatle, I think it should be George Harrison. Well, normally I would say George Harrison, but my favorite Beatle is the only surviving member of the Beatles, Ringo Starr. Yep. George Harrison, the quiet one. Was he the quiet one? Yes. Yes, the quiet one. He was. Excellent guitar player, very underrated guitar player. Yes. And if Paul and John weren't being so damn prolific, I think uh, George would have had you know more songs on the albums. Because man, the songs that he wrote, they're few and far between. But holy cow, they're good. Yeah. yeah, all of his solo records are really good too. Yep. The weird thing is like McCartney's solo records are different from from record to record. Ram is different than anything he did with Wings. Wings is different than anything he did in the 80s, etc. Like, and Lennon did like a doo-wop kind of record, a 50s-style rock record, and other weird avant-garde stuff. So his stuff was all sounded different. It, you can pick any George Harrison record from any time period after he left the Beatles, yep. and they all sound like they were recorded at the same session. They all sound very, very similar thematically, guitar-wise, production-wise. So he has a consistency that the others didn't have. Be that good or bad. I saw a Beatles tribute band called 1964. And I remember they did a song that I actually wasn't really familiar with. It's called And Your Bird Can Sing. And the George Harrison character had said that there was actually three guitar parts in that 
on that song. And he was going to play all three at the same time. It was like, wow, look at you. Wow. Well, it pays off because whoever was doing Ringo was only playing the one quarter drum part. Yeah, just just a snare. Yeah. <laughs> it balances out. All right. Next up. February 26th, 1876. Now we've done the world's tallest man. Now we're going to do the world's smallest woman. Oh, my God. Did they date? Because that'd be so sexy. <laughs> Unfortunately, Pauline Musters, I think, was gone by the time Robert Wadlow was born. Oh, okay. She was one. Now, brace yourself because yep. she was she was very small. One foot, 11.2 inches. That's not even two feet. Holy cow. That's not even two feet. That's like that's like up to Robert Wadlow's ankle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's tiny. That's very small. Much like Robert Wadlow. There's a an issue with gland disease somewhere that prevented her from growing any larger than one foot, 11.2 inches. She spent her years of fame being exhibited by Barnum. Yep. P.T. Barnum. And then passed away from pneumonia. Which she was she was very young. I got to, I went to one of those uh, horror cons that I, I, I am known to go to. They had the complete cast of American Horror Story Freak Show. I, I'm going to all over this name. But the actress on there, Jayoti, looks like. I, I, I'm saying it wrong, I'm sure. Yodi? I... Man, I'll say it like that. Yodi... Am, am she? I don't know. She is currently the world's shortest woman. Um, she's 28 years old. I get to see her in person. She is very, very tiny. And you almost can't get your like head around that that's a, a, a person. She's so tiny. And she's actually taller than Pauline Musters. Uh, yeah, she's two foot three and Two foot and three quarter inches. So she's almost a, a complete inch taller than our friend Pauline over here. Well, again, you don't see that sort of genetic condition does not come around often, maybe once in a generation sometimes. Right. Again, we haven't seen anybody who's taller than Robert Wadlow. We haven't seen really anybody that's smaller than Pauline. All right. And then wrapping up the birthdays, a woman so famous that I, 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 don't, I can't say anything other than her. If you don't know who... Elizabeth Taylor is, then I don't know who you are. Elizabeth Taylor, born February the 27th, 1932. She was, at, for a time, the most famous actress in the world. Yes. Uh, and the highest paid. Yeah. She was actually the first actress to get paid $1 million for a motion picture. Yes. And I think that was for Cleopatra, a film that went hellaciously over budget and never made its money back. <laughs> <laughs> she was like the last of the big studio starlets who ultimately ended up transitioning to being like an independent artist artist right who got involved in films that capitalized on her acting ability more than what she looked like and when she was paired with her uh, who would become her one-time husband Richard Burton she and he were at their best uh, I mean as she got married that was like a running gag I think she got married a total of like eight times maybe nine. But yeah, I'm pretty sure Michael Jackson gave her away the last time she got married, and that was like 1992 or something. Right, but but like the same way that everybody remembers Gilda Radner as Gene Wilder's wife, even though he got remarried, Liz Taylor and Richard Burton were that was they were like the Hollywood it couple, and they used yeah. to argue and fight horrific battles. Yes. They took on roles that, that ultimately played into that, too. Like, if you watch um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, the relationship that the two characters have in that story is tumultuous at best. Well, I remember watching, oh, what was that comedian's name? 
He played Jombie. Oh, uh, John Paragon, yeah. yeah. And he was doing a sketch where he played Richard Burton, uh, the woman that played the secretary in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She played Elizabeth yes. Taylor. And they oh, were just geez. fighting back and forth and back and forth. And then, like, the stagehand comes in and he goes, Miss Taylor, Curtin. And Richard Burton <laughs> says, Honey, your new dress is here. <laughs> there's a there's a Benny Hill sketch where Benny Hill plays both Richard Burton's character and Elizabeth Taylor's character in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which yes. is shortened for TV to Who's Afraid of Virgin Wool. <laughs> My favorite line from that is 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 Elizabeth Taylor. Benny Hill is Elizabeth Taylor says, "What would you do if you came home and you found a strapping young man in bed with me?" And Miss <laughs> Richard Burton says, "I'd hit him over the head with this white stick." <laughs> That was really funny. Elizabeth Taylor, as an actress, made some of the best movies. If she was a musician, which she was not, she would make some of the best songs. She would definitely would not make. This is the worst segue I've ever done. The worst song ever. Oh, Jeff, guess what? I did not pick this week's song. Oh. And you did not pick this week's song. I'm sure that if, unless I had some sort of head injury, (laughs) I cannot remember picking this week's song. But I do want to tell you that I remember that Barry Boswick played Ace Hunter (laughs) in the movie Megaforce. Nope. Um, Uh, Yeah, so where did this pick for this week's garbage come from? uh, This week's song was actually a listener submission. This was sent in by a listener named James Amaral. Oh. Yep, James Amaral wanted us to pick apart... A song called Summer Girls by a group (laughs) called LFO. Technically, they're an independent boy band, as I have learned. As I have learned. Okay, Uh, before we get into our dive, let's uh, let's play the clip. Abercrombie and Fitch. New kids on the block, had a bunch of hits. Chinese food makes me sick. And I think it's fly away, gonna stop by for the summer, for the summer. I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch. I take her if I have one wish. But she's been gone since that summer, since yeah. that summer. Cherry pants, cold crush, rock stud boogie. Used to hate school, so I had to play hooky. Always been hip to the b-boy style. Known to act wild and make a girl smile. Love new addition in a candy girl. Remind me of you So, you uh, this song has lyrics that I would refer to as hilarious. <laughs> this is like whenever you're in grade school, like fourth grade, and your writing assignment is to write a poem, and you just... Like, <laughs> You like you come up with a word that like you have a, a, a line, and then you have to come up with another word that rhymes at that line, but it just doesn't make sense with what the first line was. And it's in some cases you get that that one line where it makes perfect sense and it's awesome. And I think that for all of the dumb poetry in this song, and this song is dumb. It has the line, "My my name's Rich. I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch." And that line is gold, Bill. That is gold right there. Uh, okay. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> um, no, I think I think it's hilarious. It makes me laugh every stupid single time I hear it. Right over here it says, uh, I'm looking at the lyrics over here, right? It says, stayed home all summer, then went back home. Macaulay Culkin wasn't home alone. Fell deep in love, but now we ain't speaking. Michael J. Fox was Alex P. Keaton. <laughs> yeah, like I said, this song is dumb. It's dumb as <laughs> sh- 
Hold on. That dump is all get out. This week was way better last year. Jeff McLarge huge can hear in one ear. <laughs> it's funny because like you brought this song to my attention and I I apologize. I literally have never heard this song before in my entire life until I started listening to it uh-huh. in advance of recording the show today. Right. And my first thought as I listened through this was like, huh, it's, it's weirdly familiar, but I know that I don't know it. Uh-huh. I know this isn't a song that I know. Uh-huh. And I listened to it like three or four times, and I'm like, ah, the rhyme scheme is terrible, and it's like a boy band song, but they're really like charismatic in the video, and it's interesting. Holy mackerel, this song is just like Sugar Ray, like <laughs> like oh, every morning by right, Sugar yeah. Ray. And I'm like, wait a minute, I have to go find the two, and I'm gonna play the two together, right? So I'm doing it's like, this is my afternoon, so like find versions of each song that I can kind of play at the same time. They're not exactly the same, but they're close enough that they could be first cousins, right? Again, I don't hate that song either. Yeah. It's it's a little less dumb than this one, and it has an acoustic guitar in it, but that's, that's really the only difference between the two. So I'm looking up LFO, you know, because I, I don't know about, you know, boy bands. That's not my genre. I remember this video, or, or at least I remember LFO existing because one of the founding members, and the guy that used to write the majority of the stuff, Rich Cronin, used to date former Worst Song Ever alumni Jennifer Love Hewitt. And they had a song called The Girl on TV. Uh, I remember that. I don't really remember this song, but that might be just like blocking out bad memories. Um, So here I am looking up uh, LFO. LFO actually stands for Light with a Y, L-Y-T-E. Light Funky Ones. Yes, and Funky spelled F-U-N-K-I-E. Yeah, so that's pretty bad. F-U. Yeah. But the thing that, like, what, what, what took me really by surprise is they came together in our hometown of New Bedford, Massachusetts, Jeff. Get out of town. Yeah. That dude, Rich Cronin, he was actually from, like, uh, I'm going to say the Boston area. I think it was, like, from Needham Heights, right, which is yeah. just a suburb of Boston. But I guess he had kind of, like, moved down to New Bedford. And him and this guy, Brad Fashidi? Yeah, it could be. <laughs> it's a, it's the fishing city, so yeah. it might as well be for shitty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a, a rap name. Uh, anyway, <laughs> they met up with this guy named Brian Gillis, and they started LFO. So uh, they recorded a song called If I Can't Have You, which, as it says here, missed the top 40. <laughs> <laughs> missed it by that much. Yeah. How and did we do? You missed the top 100, too. Yeah. Right. Even though they're from New Bedford, they didn't really chart in America with all that other stuff. They charted over in England, you know? Yeah. And then that uh, Brian Gillis dude left, and he got replaced by a name, a guy named Devin Lima, who that definitely sounds like he's from, uh, from New Bedford. Yeah, so they moved back. They moved back to the States. They actually, like, hooked up with Danny Wood from the New Kids on the Block. So oh, okay. So hence the name dropping in the, uh, in the Summer Girl song. Uh, Makes sense. Yep. They put out two albums, multi-platinum albums. You know, they sold like four million copies. Jeez, we, and I have no, I, I swear to God, I had never heard of this band at all in my entire life yeah. until you sent me a link to it. Like I said, I, I probably wouldn't know this band either if I didn't have my 1990s crush on Jennifer Love Hewitt. I'm like, oh my God, she's dating a boy band, dude. So that's, that's LFO. I'm going to do something that I've done on this show before, Bill. I'm going to stand up as someone who likes inoffensive, dumb, dumb pop music. Uh-huh. And 
again, I never found it unpleasant to listen to this dumb song. <laughs> the 20 or 30 times I listened to it in the last couple of days. Yep. I found myself like, oh, you know what? If this came on the radio, I wouldn't change the radio. Like, that could be that could just be me getting older, but I, I, fought, I thought it had a lot of stupid charm, and I appreciated this, the stupidness of it. So The listener that sent this in actually put that in as a caveat. He said, I actually listen to this song more often than I would care to admit because the lyrics being as horrifically bad as they are, uh, they actually, uh, James says they actually make him laugh and they make him smile. Yeah. He goes, I've never listened yep. to the song and not smiled. So, well, that's, that's exactly the reaction that I'd have. Like, I keep thinking like, my name's Rich. I like my girls from Abercrombie and Fitch. Like, that's a great, like little thing. The rest of the song is stupid, but that's, that line is like, it's gold. I, I say worst song ever, but definitely going to be a guilty pleasure on my playlists for doing stuff around the house for sure. All right. So, uh, before we wrap up the show. We do have our trivia question, and that'll segue into the other thing. All right, so before we wrap up the show, I do have my a very popular and always well-received trivia question. We were talking about candy at the beginning of the show, and you get all excited because you know the answer, don't you? Don't you, Jeff? Don't you? I did. Right. I do so know the answer. brought up Nako Wafers, the worst candy in the world. Nako Wafers, Nako stands for something, Jeff. What does Nako stand for? It does. It stands for New England Candy Company. Ooh. That's the N-E-C-C-O. Necco. No. no. No, you're so close, but you're not there. You don't get it. Oh, I, man. I gave you the bats. I gave you the bats thing a couple of weeks ago. I'm not giving you this one. Yeah. All right. Yep. All right. No, it's not candy. It's confectionery. Fair enough. Word, word plays important. Yep. The New England Confectionery Company. Confectionery. Yep. It's been around since I was a child, so, 100 years ago. You lose. You get nothing. You get nothing. Good day, sir. <laughs> You're an inhuman monster. <laughs> I said good day, sir. <laughs> All right. All right, but that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you back here in seven days. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. They'll probably get all the trivia questions right too, bastards. <laughs>